Hey, it's Larry. Uh, Thanks for listening. Happy New Year. Real quick, before we get into this episode, I had such an amazing, eye-opening, life-changing experience at the World Parkinson Congress in Kyoto that I want others to have that opportunity, too. So Becca Miller and I and 24 of our PD community friends have launched a year-long WPC Travel Grant Fundraiser. We're each doing a two-week Facebook fundraiser. Mine's underway right now because my birthday's January 9th. All the money raised will be used to help offset travel costs so more people with young-onset Parkinson's can attend the next WPC in Barcelona in 2022. You can search out details on the When Life Gives You Parkinson's Facebook page or donate directly to the WPC website. Go to wpc2022.org slash yopdfund. If you or your business would like to supply matching funds... Hey, good on you. Email me at parkinsonspot at curiouscast.ca. And now, on with the show. Hi, I'm Larry Gifford. I have Parkinson's disease. And I'm going to the World Parkinson Congress. This is WPC 2019, the official podcast for the 5th World Parkinson Congress, the event this year being held June 4th through 7th in Kyoto, Japan. This podcast created in collaboration with the World Parkinson Coalition and my other podcast, When Life Gives You Parkinson's. Each episode will explore some of the topics that will be addressed and chat with speakers lined up for this year's WPC. It is April, which is Parkinson's Awareness Month all around the globe. And one way you can raise awareness is by making a video of what your Parkinson's experience is like. And to that end, I want to direct your attention to the WPC website to check out the 12 finalist videos for WPC 2019. Go to WPC2019.org, click on Program, and the second-to-last item on that list is the Video Competition. There's also a link in the show notes. Videos were submitted from all around the world, and they showcase the many faces and voices and dances and handstands and laughs of Parkinson's. Finalists Eros Breslin and Anders Leans pay tribute to the late Tom Isaacs. When I was a little boy, I was happily unaware of what life had in store for me. Isn't it like that for all of us? We know there will be good times, but how do we deal with difficulties? Not long after I was diagnosed with Parkinson's, I had the chance to sit down with Tom Isaacs and listen to his advice. I I was someone growing up who didn't have much passion about anything much. When I got Parkinson's, suddenly that all changed and... When I first went and read about Parkinson's, I was, I was on the fourth floor and I considered leaping out of the window. But I couldn't get out of the window because it was, it was one that didn't open quite far enough. So I, um, so I, <laughs> I was in desperate strait for the first three years of Parkinson's. I, I didn't want to talk about it. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't admit it to myself. And then you get, you get to a stage where you do admit it. You, you accept it as part of who you are. Hello, my name is Tom Isaacs, and for someone that walked on uncertain feet, each step you took landed so perfectly with such gravity and positivity. Some silly moments too, but done so seriously. People were drawn to you because you inspired them. Half rocks that have heroes. Up to 
as I've learnt more about the condition, I'm, I've realised, I mean, yes, I mean, most people would say it's optimism. I have a belief. You know, I don't think it is optimism. I believe that, that my condition eventually will be reversed. I absolutely believe that. I've seen people getting better with Parkinson's, so the science is out there to cure this thing. You've, you've got to live for today. You're going to, you shouldn't look at, I mean, you shouldn't look at me and think, oh, God, when am I going to be like that? Because you'll never be like that. You've got to fight this thing. And you can't let other people's opinions sway your belief or change the direction of your life. It's still yours to control. And Parkinson's ain't going to control it for you. All the videos are quite expertly produced and a real joy to watch. I encourage you to check them all out. Here's one featuring Matt Eagles, who's behind the Parky Life movement. Everything I've done, I've done with this, it's almost like an invisible challenge that I've got. It's been tough. I mean, I've suffered side effects from medications. I've had bad things happen to me. But at the end of the day, I'm a positive person. So they go into the background of my memory and I tend to focus on the positive things that have happened in my life. I normally have a coffee with one sugar set. Here we go with the, with the coffee. Now, it's getting a level to I might have to hold it. I'm very, very lucky to be in the situation I am at the moment, actually, because I'm now doing something that I love and I feel very, very passionately about. And I don't think I've been in the situation to be able to have done it had I not had Parkinson's disease. Would you mind carrying it back to my desk as well? Because I, I really can't carry it back to my desk. Well, I could, but I'd end up with about that much coffee left in the cup. Omotolo Thomas rewrote the Cup song, When You're Gone, and performed it with her kids as a direct message to Parkinson's. like this one featuring Fumiko Moria. How could this happen to me? As I never think I'll be a Parkinson disease, I couldn't understand the situation. I didn't cry. I just remember the doctor said, I'm sorry to say, but unfortunately, you are Parkinson. Several of the videos show Parkinson's through the eyes of children, Johnny Agence's cartoons, and Christine Jayachandran's journey to a handstand. The people that have this disease have trouble walking, and sometimes they drag their leg when they walk, and their hand shakes. Their arms are quite stiff, and sometimes their legs. 
and she wanted to do her exercise so her disease wouldn't get worse. But it was kind of hard to do exercise every day. But then she thought a little bit more. Since I do gymnastics, she said, I want to do gymnastics too. Videos feature multiple stories and reinforce the value of community and support groups. This is Parkinson's was submitted by Anissa Mitchell for her group in Florida. I was 34 years old. I had started experiencing symptoms when I was 32, just two months after my husband and I were married. I still remember getting in the elevator with Debbie and saying to her, I'm sorry, because I knew that she was in for something too in terms of providing care and support. I was diagnosed um, a little over two years ago. And I just thought it was nerves or, you know, you think it's anything else. Well, at first it was heartbreaking for me to uh, be diagnosed with Parkinson's. And when I say heartbreaking, I really mean that. I walked out of the office cursing at the doctor and saying, it cannot be, why me? And I went to all sorts of medical centers all over the world to get diagnosed again. And sure enough, it was Parkinson's. But what we have in common aside from a diagnosis, is a desire to redefine Parkinson's and what Parkinson's is. is to fight the disease and find a cure. This is Parkinson's. 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 I'm quite certain I probably mispronounced half those names, and for that I apologize. But go to the website, watch all the videos, vote for your favorites right now. The website is WPC2019.org. Click on Program, and the second to last item on that list is the video competition. One of the big issues that I'm personally dealing with is sound sleep. So it feels a bit self-serving to introduce Dr. Alexander Vodinovich. He is a neurologist specializing in movement disorders and sleep medicine at Massachusetts General Hospital and the Harvard Medical School. Alexander, welcome to the pod. Yes. Hi, Larry. Very nice to meet you via this Skype, I guess, and uh, my pleasure. Alexander, if half the people with Parkinson's have the sleep issues like I do, you must be a really busy guy. Well, I am a busy guy, but I also probably could be a bit busier, and let me explain what that means. Okay. While Parkinson's disease frequently, um, uh, very frequently, is associated with poor sleep and alertness, these issues are really still underreported by our patients and really maybe not well appreciated by healthcare providers at large as well. So, I think there is a, a really a big need to increase awareness of sleep problems that patients with Parkinson's disease have, um, to diagnose them appropriately and to see how we can help them because then Parkinson's is going to be less burdensome to both our patients and caregivers. So what are some of the more common sleep issues that you associate with Parkinson's? The most common sleep problem um, that we um, see in Parkinson's disease is sleep fragmentation. Our patients will frequently come and say, well, listen, doc, I really don't have a problem falling asleep, but once I'm asleep, I wake up every hour, two hours, and it is really hard to go back to sleep. So I would call this some type of a Parkinson's-specific insomnia, 
um, and it is really burdensome to our patients, very burdensome. No, that's what I've got. Yeah. I, I have the same problem. I, I can get to sleep fine, but I, I can't stay asleep very long at all. Right. What, what happens uh, if you don't get a good night's sleep? Well, obviously, we, we need sleep to kind of reset our system. We need sleep to consolidate our memories. And even more recently, um, it has been discovered that sleep is a stage during which toxic metabolites get eliminated from our brain, from our nerve cells. Um, and therefore, if one doesn't get this opportunity to rest and, and clear all this toxic waste, um, that lingers and has really uh, negative effects on uh, performance, on safety, on alertness, um, but also negatively affects symptoms of Parkinson's disease and effectiveness of medications that we give to our patients with Parkinson's disease. There is this phenomenon known as sleep benefit. We've known about it for decades now, and sleep benefit is uh, this phenomenon that our patients with Parkinson's disease uh, tells us tell us that after a good night of sleep, their Parkinson's is less burdensome. Oh, and even more so that medications are more effective after having a good night of sleep. That's awesome. At the World Parkinson Congress, you're going to be giving a talk and hosting a roundtable, uh, tips and tricks managing sleep disorders and Parkinson's. I know personally, in the last year, I've tried melatonin, CBD oil, magnesium glycinate, mirtazapine, light therapy, aromatherapy, silence, music, meditation, reading, more levodopa, later bedtimes, earlier bedtimes. There's so much, so many things you can try. What are some of your tips and tricks? I think, you know, that um, number one is really that we need to encourage patients to think about their sleep and to discuss it with their providers. Once individuals um, with Parkinson's disease develop one of these problems, they really, uh, there is really no uniform tip or a trick for uh, every patient is different who has Parkinson's disease and sleep-wake cycles of every Parkinson's disease patients are different. So I think that everything starts by a very good, a visit with a physician and where both patients and their pet partners or caregivers are present. And then there is really open and not such a brief and in a rush discussion about what go- what's going on with their sleep. Because each of these potential causes for disrupted sleep should be and can be approached from a different angle. So I think that a likely combination of tips um, is going to really be very critical for uh, uh, improving sleep and alertness in patients with Parkinson's disease. And I hope in this webinar and, and this talk, as well as a roundtable, to, uh, to touch upon how to think about poor sleep and alertness, how to diagnose conditions uh, that lead to it, and um, what are approaches, what are tools that we already have or that we need to develop in the future in order to help our patients. Yeah, I think I think the the key here uh, that you want to express is if you're having any trouble sleeping, just tell your neurologist or your GP so they can begin to address it. Absolutely, that is always a first step. Awareness is the first step. If you are not aware of the problem, you certainly won't be able to help it. Uh, you know, a lot of people are going to be traveling to Kyoto from many time zones away, including you. Uh, what are your secrets for quickly adjusting your body clock for a new time zone? Yeah, that is a that is a very good question, and that is a really uh, troublesome uh, troublesome uh, issue to have. When I travel, I try to adjust to the new time zone. So, which means if I arrive to 
Europe in mid-morning, although it's already mid-afternoon where I live, I really try to stay awake during that day and try to go to bed whenever is the nighttime in a, in a local environment. But however, there are some tips that one can try to do. Uh, people who will be traveling eastwards to Kyoto um, should kind of try to avoid a lot of light exposure when they arrive in the early, if they arrive in the early hours um, of the day in Kyoto. People who are traveling westward to Kyoto, and if they arrive in the midday or a later day, they should try to get as much light as they can. But if they have trouble sleeping, I would suggest that they may consider at the local time in Kyoto when they are ready to go to bed to take small amount of melatonin somewhere between one and three milligrams, and that can hopefully facilitate that they will fall asleep easier. Uh, but for me personally, sticking with the local time zone um, and behaving like you live, you live there um, works really good when I travel. Well, that's great. That's great advice. Thank you. What, what are you looking forward to most uh, to, in attending and, and, and speaking at the WPC? Uh, this is actually going to be my first WPC, so I'm very excited to um, to visit and uh, to speak. Um, I hear that this is a meeting that has a really a strong presence of our patient community, and I look forward to connect uh, to connecting to many patients from various parts of the globe. Um, uh, and um, um, what is always beautiful about these meetings that we meet colleagues and. Uh, uh, exchange new developments, talk about new projects and collaborations. So that human factor, for me, is always the the most stimulating uh, component of any meeting. Each episode of WPC 2019, I'm going to provide a Kyoto life hack, a tip, a cultural insight, etiquette advice, language lessons. It's an extra dosage travel guide to get us all better prepared for our trek in June. None of us want to offend anybody or be embarrassed, so James Heron, the executive director of the Japanese-Canadian Cultural Center, has agreed to join us each episode to teach us a word or phrase and provide some insight into the culture that we can expect. James, let's start with the word or phrase of the week. One of the things that uh, you, you, people often find uh, they have to deal with when dealing with Japanese people is a lot of ambiguity. Uh, and then the difficult sometimes to draw out opinions or to, to get a clear yes or no. And that's something that's really, uh, I think it's driven by some of the, the cultural ideas that underpin uh, Japanese culture. One of them being harmony, or the word, the Japanese word for harmony is wa. Wa? Which is, wa, which is probably one of the most fundamental Japanese cultural concepts. In fact, the word wa, which means harmony, is actually used in a lot of Japanese words to give a connotation of something's Japanese-ness. So, wa shoku is Japanese food. Wa fuku is Japanese um, clothing. Mm. Uh, wa shitsu means a Japanese-style room. So, it's very central to the Japanese psyche, as is sort of groupism. And, uh, and the need to sort of not put your opinions out there until um, sort of group consensus has been reached. And another, another reason for this ambiguity is, um, can be sort of the cultural homogeneity you find in Japan. Um, things don't always have to be said in order to be understood because Japan is a, is a culture 
where there's just a great deal of homogeneity. So in other words, you don't necessarily have to say something for it to be understood because of that, that great shared context. And it's one of the reasons, for example, why um, haiku poetry can be so powerful even though it's really just uh, it's really only 17 syllables, but right. there can be cultural markers in those very, very short poems that can open up huge swaths of meaning to 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 the Japanese listener. So is there a yes or no or, or is it always just sort of this ambiguity? Well, the Japanese will say yes a lot. And and yes, in Japanese is high, high, high. But um, again, it shouldn't it shouldn't be um, it shouldn't be mistaken for the actual yes, as in uh, we are in agreement. Hi simply means uh, uh, it's an acknowledgement that uh, I'm listening to you. So if a Western business person was coming out of a meeting, having heard yes, 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 assuming that the Japanese were in agreement with everything he said, well, there could be uh, there could be a significant miss. Uh, understanding there. Um, and the Japanese also um, tend not to say no. It tends to be uh, probably a little bit too direct. Um, but, you know, the Japanese will signal no through expressions that um, suggest no. Often people will say, oh, that's, um, that's very difficult, which is not a challenge to fix a problem, often it means that it can't be done. Mm. And there's also some sort of sometimes um, sort of set expressions in Japanese that, again, communicate no. For example, we will examine this matter in a forward-looking manner. That is almost, uh, you know, that's, that's a set Japanese expression, which is a little bit of a, a kiss of death. When you, when you hear that, you know they're not interested. Uh, so you kind of have to, pardon the expression, read the tea leaves. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you definitely read read between the lines. Um, we we as North Americans, we tend to, to sort of get to the point. Um, we we tend to speak in very um, you know direct lines of communication, where the Japanese will approach things often in a much more um, in a much more indirect manner. So in Japan, sometimes to 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 beat around the bush or to go in circles is not seen necessarily as. Uh, as a negative, so it's really important when you when you are dealing with um, with Japanese and you're trying to draw out an opinion. Sometimes you just have to let things proceed at the Japanese pace and let over time, you know, let let the wheat separate from the chaff, and be careful not to sometimes push for an opinion or push for an answer if you're not getting it. What that'll sometimes do is just uh, shut down the communication process altogether. So sometimes just a little extra patience. Is, uh, is necessary. Thanks, James. We'll be sure to post these words, pronunciations, and cultural insights on our show notes. From Curious Cast and the World Parkinson Coalition, this is WPC 2019. Special thanks to Dr. Alexander Vidinovich and everyone who submitted a video to the World Parkinson Congress competition. You are all serving the Parkinson community in a great way. And James Heron, who joined us today. Visit WPC2019.org to learn about the upcoming 5th World Parkinson Congress, a global Parkinson's event that opens its doors to all members of the Parkinson's community, including those living with the disease. Follow WPC on Twitter at World Parkinson Congress. If you'd like to help spread the word about the podcast, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free. You can search WPC2019 or 
When Life Gives You Parkinson's. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, everywhere you get your streaming audio. You can also listen at CuriousCast.ca and WPC2019.org. I encourage you to reach out and connect with me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just look up at Parkinson's Pod or email us at parkinsonspod at curiouscast.ca. WPC 2019 is written and produced by me, Larry Gifford. Dila Velazquez is our story producer and sound designs by Rob Johnston. I look forward to seeing you in Kyoto. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.